creating a church for all people in your community. Part two of a two-part interview with Reverend John Edgar, the author of A Front Porch for All People, on episode number 52 of the To Be Encouraged podcast with Bishop Julia C. Tremble. You are welcome to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Tremble. Bishop Tremble is on a mission to encourage you with the love of Jesus Christ so you can rise to your highest potential. On To Be Encouraged, Bishop Tremble speaks to a discouraged world with a good word on the pandemic, racism, the environment, human sexuality, and the state of the church with a focus on centering your life on the love of Jesus Christ. Has there ever been a more needed time for an encouraging word to our world? This is your time to rise to your greatest potential and to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Tremble. Hello again, good people. Welcome to To Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Tremble, the podcast where we look to offer an encouraging word to an often discouraged world. I'm your co-host, Reverend Dr. Brad Muller. This is part two today of a special two-part episode that we've had with Reverend John Edgar from Columbus, Ohio. He's the pastor emeritus of the Church for All People there in that community. And he was also the founding pastor, and he's now presently a pastor emeritus. And he's the founding and the executive director of the Community Development for All People. And this is the agency which helps to coordinate the many of the efforts and ministries of the church in a nonprofit organization that, among other things, has a free store and as, and as many other agencies to help serve the needy of the community. He also serves as a faculty member uh, at the Methodist Theological School in Ohio. But this story today is about the, his book, The Front Porch for All People, which is available at frontporchbook.com. We're talking today, continuing a conversation that uh, Bishop Tribble and I had with John about his book, and in particularly about the efforts to deal with uh, ministry in what he calls a sustainable mixed income community and understanding the concepts of the divine community of, of, of divine abundance surrounded by God's grace. And we get into this in some detail in our conversation here today. And you really, especially if you're a pastor, a lay person of a church that's looking to truly, truly, truly meet the needs of your community in every level, uh, spiritually and socioeconomically and in the needs the economic and social needs of the community. You're going to listen to this because we're going to talk about how you can apply that in your church and in your local uh, community setting. And there's going to be some helpful things here. And I really want you to get your head around these uh, concepts of the duplication of biblical abundance in local churches and how that can happen in whatever community that you are, are, are in. You're going to love this conversation, fascinating conversation. Again, the website is frontporchbook.com, 
And the name of the book is A Front Porch for All People. His name is John Edgar. He's our special guest today on the To Be Encouraged podcast. We pick up the conversation with with Bishop Trimble and myself as Bishop Trimble begins to question John in a little more detail about biblical abundance. Now, abundance is different. I don't read in here, you're not preaching a gospel, a prosperity gospel, but when you, when you, but, but when, but when you point to the feeding of the 5,000 or, or God's faithfulness, you're saying, hey, listen, from creation, from Genesis to Revelation, uh, you know, so the, I think the essential principles re- convince me that this, this is, this is repeatable and, and it would be different in different contexts. Certainly, but but say a word about those principles. The glass is half full. Hospitality is radical. I really want to, but we could do a whole show on that. Uh, and and grace is touchable. And I know both both, both Brad and I were, we could we'd love to do just a whole whole program, and we maybe we should on this notion of grace because I I have a lot of conversations with people, Protestant and Catholic, and those who are not Christian around. What is this understanding? That particularly, you Methodists, you, you throw it around a lot, but you don't want to hang, hang, and really explain what do you mean by grace. And you say grace is touchable. Yeah. So um, glad to respond. And maybe give me a couple minutes. I'll do two parts of that. So, so in terms of the glasses half full first. So we launched in 1999 while I was still a district superintendent. This. A uh, real simple program called a free store. And, and Bishop, I originally did it as a DS, trying to find a point of local mission uh, for the 78 churches that were in the district. And so we invited people to bring in gently used clothing and household items. We rented a storefront on the south side. And then we just gave things away and uh, invited people to come and shop. And then we tried with some success to build relationships of mutuality, as I was talking about but what happened that's really caught me by surprise, Bishop, was a whole lot more people came to shop than we ever imagined. There are about 20,000 folks a year that come through this store now. And, and maybe I shouldn't have been surprised that people would flock to a store where everything was free and there were no eligibility requirements. But the thing that surprised us even more was we never ran out of good things to give away. We've done it for 25 years. It's open five days a week. And every day we start, the racks are filled to overflowing with clothing and other household items. In fact, the biggest problem in the free store is not to be buried under the flood of donations that come in the back door. But but to move the story along and pick up on some of what you had just said before, Bishop. So after a while, we started wondering, why don't we run out of good stuff? You know, and for a little bit, I thought, well, you know, maybe it's just a coincidence. And and then, uh, Bishop, as maybe you can appreciate both as a DS in your current role, for a brief moment, I wondered whether all the churches kept bringing things because we had pastors that wanted better appointments. And they thought if they humored this kind of deranged superintendent and, you know, clear out their closets that I'd go talk to the bishop and they'd get a better church. But donations went up when I stopped being a DS rather than going down. So that wasn't the answer. So when when most Christian folks, and I confess I'm in the group, when we can't figure it out on our own, sooner or later, we are going to pick up the Bible. You know, and we're going to try to sort this thing out. And you nailed it, Bishop. Uh, from the first 
chapter of Genesis, the Bible's really clear. God made it all. God made it good. God made it abundant. There's more than enough for every good purpose as long as we share what God has given to us. And and uh, it is the story of Jesus feeding the multitude that I think shows that. Uh, as I often talk about, uh, uh, it's the only miracle in all four Gospels, and I do not think that's a coincidence. You know that, but when you know, uh, in the version from the Gospel of John, you know, Jesus takes the one child's lunch, five little, uh, little loaves and two fish, and and feeds everybody. And Bishop, you might recall, Grad, that in that story in John six, uh, it says that uh, Simon Peter's uh, brother Andrew brings the kids' lunch, gives it to Jesus. And immediately denigrates the gift. He, I mean, it's, it's in there literally in chapter six. He says to Jesus, but what good is it anyway when there are so many? So in a discouraging world, even in that moment, Andrew is saying, yeah, here it is, but you know, it's not worth much. And, and in that moment, um, Bishop, uh, Jesus you know, says, oh, to the whole crowd at that exact moment, he says, oh, sit down, as if he's just thoroughly disgusted that they don't get it. And then, you know, he makes the disciples, you know, share uh, the elements, you know, he blesses, breaks the bread and shares it, and and it multiplies. And, and I am convinced that the free store for us is the living proof of that divine reality, that you, that when we take what we have, no matter how meager it seems, God's going to multiply it. And Bishop, you're so right. I am not preaching a prosperity gospel. I mean, the prosperity gospel that's worse, and I think it's normally close to at its worst, is do three things for Jesus and you get a Cadillac. And that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> one, of the things that, one of the things that I uh, love about what you share here, and I'll just put it in two words, and those two words are what if. And uh, the what if is, that you know, you had your aha moment. You've been uh, preaching to uh, some sort of a church event of some sort. What if the generosity is true? What if this abundance thing is true? What if the gospel is true? What if? And uh, you could be, I'm reminded of uh, Acts chapter 2 where it talks about, you know, uh, people gave all things to all people to serve, you know, and they believed and so on. And the Lord added to the number every day to their number. So that would be. If that Lord added one day, one person a day, that'd be every church would have 365 new people every year at least, right? So I love that. So Bishop, I, what what if what if the church really was like the Bible says? John, what do you think here? Uh, what if? Well, I think we, I think we would uh, experience more of the second part of our mission statement as United Methodists, and John has, talks about this quite a bit in here, and that is transformation of the world. In fact, I think we. We should start a mission statement to transform the world by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Some, some people want to some people want to help people get ready for heaven, but people are experiencing so much hell here on earth that that they don't experience transformation. But but John, you you said something. I'm going to push this a little bit. Jesus comes to us again from John, full of grace and truth, but grace and be touched. And you talk about that on stories from multiple stories from the free store, but but what what how can grace be touched? Right. Yeah. Thanks for bringing us back to that. So um, so for your podcast, Brad, this will be the little bit of ancient Greek, and I keep it real brief. Okay. Uh, yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. The New Testament, of course, was not written in English. It is it's not King James that wrote the original Bible. It was in Greek, and uh, and grace is the English translation of this word from ancient Greek, charis. 
And in 2000 years ago, uh, in biblical times, Charis simply meant a gift. So if you were going to somebody's birthday party in Nazareth 2,000 years ago, you'd bring a birthday charis with you. And uh, you know, if you wanted to show appreciation to somebody, you might bring them a present, a charis, a gift. But the early church in the very beginning uh, took that word and it, and it sort of injected a richer meaning. And the early church began to restrict the use of the word charis to mean any gift from God. And so when we talk about amazing grace, how sweet the sound and all the rest of that, grace is a translation of a word from the original Bible that means a gift from God. And as soon as we keep that in focus, then all of a sudden it gets fascinating to not only think, but to talk and quite frankly, be very, in this sense, evangelical. I mean, you know, inviting people in around the fact you can touch grace. And so, for example, in that free store, and by the way, there are now about 80 to 100 free stores around the country, all based on this model. Uh, Bishop, including one, is really outstanding in Canton, Ohio. But uh, but it so when people come and shop at the free store, if you think about it, say there's a mom that comes in and she's shopping and she you know, is picking up uh, some jeans for, for her daughter. And when she does that, she's touching a free gift offered in the name of Christ through this church. She's touching grace. And then if she goes and shops for other things, and then that we put all those donations uh, in a bag, and then she walks out of our free store carrying grace with her. And then if you push it just a little further, she goes home, you know, and, and I, at least in my imagination, let's say her daughter comes home from school and the mom shows the things she got from the free store. And if that girl is anything like my granddaughter's, if they get clothing that they really like, the next morning that girl got up, put on those jeans and maybe a blouse, and that girl clothed herself literally in grace, in free gifts wow. from God. And she wears that. That'll preach. That'll preach. Let me write that down. <laughs> yeah. And and so so what we're contending, um, uh, Bishop, is that it, when we really think about it, if you trace it back just a little bit, almost everything that we receive is a gift from God. And so like we run this fresh market and, you know, again, 30 plus thousand people shop there. But they're picking up grace, you know. They're, you know, they're taking this healthy produce home and they're preparing it. And then again, if you just we use our imagination a little bit, let's say there's a grandmother that came to shop and they and she gets everybody at the dinner table that night and is using the fruits and vegetables. And and the and in my own imagination, this is a good United Methodist grandma, you know, who insists that one of the kids say. A blessing, and what she says to their family though is, "We're going to say grace before we eat, right?" And that's what she's going to say, you know, because she's going to thank for these free gifts, and then they're going to eat that food. They're going to literally taste God's grace, that that's free fruits and vegetables, and they'll consume it. It'll be within them. Um, but if you allow me to go one step further, Bishop, with this. Um, and this is the most United Methodist I'm going to be. I mean, I'm, I am a good Methodist all the way through now. But, but if there's anything distinctive, you know, in our theology, you know, as Wesleyan folks, it is this understanding of grace. And just real quick, uh, Bishop, and I talk a lot more about this in the book, that John Wesley talked about grace at a couple of levels. He talked about a provenient grace, which is the grace that surrounds you before you know what God's up to. And so, sure, we literally have 
thousands of people on the South side that are clothed in God's grace and, and, and it's provenient grace. In other words, they really don't necessarily get it, but we run church services every day before we open the free store and we teach our volunteers and others um, these key concepts. In fact, I also kid that, you know, during the 20 years I was the pastor there, there are more folks on the South side of Columbus that know a few words of Greek than anywhere else in America. (laughs) Because we really talk to people about when you go shop, you're going to touch grace. And and so, you know, for John Wesley, and I'll finish this up, Wesley then talked about going from prevenient grace to justifying grace. It's when you wake up to what God is doing. And that's what we discover. And that's how the church has been built. People coming to appreciate that what they're touching is God's grace. Um, and then we invite those people into the full life of the church. And then the last part of what Wesley said is, you know, when you come to know that it's all a free gift, that God loves you just the way you are, but God's not finished with you yet. And so Wesley talked about sanctifying grace, how we live into that, how we get up onto that front porch and dwell there together. And so uh, at our best, that's what we're inviting people to do, including a mother that comes to shop at the free store one day and then gets it and in gratitude brings clothing that or toys her children have outgrown to give it forward. So, so yeah, we do think grace is touching. Well, Bishop, we've got some biblical exegesis here. We've got some, uh, <laughs> we got seminary Greek. We've got some Wesleyan <laughs> theology. we got it all going on here, but let's take a moment. If you don't mind, let's put in mind that pastor of that uh, church in Ohio or Indiana or Colorado or in India or wherever they're listening to us uh, t- today. And maybe that, uh, maybe that lay person who's listening to us, the devoted lay person who's saying, okay, Bishop, Pastor John, you've got these great things going on. We also got all this nonsense about the division of the church and all this type of thing too. But what if we really want to get about the business of doing this? But we got financial problems. We got people who are mad about this and that. We've got, you know, volunteer issues. We're an aging congregation. We got all these needs. We don't have the resources. How do we implement some of this? And I'd just like to hear from both of you about this. Let me answer first. And I'm going to use John Ecker to answer it because I've read read enough of the book to say, well, uh, and I, I'm, I'm my background, I, grew, I didn't go directly to seminary. I came out of college with a degree in sociology, worked in social work and community organizing. So John McKnight, who you quote significantly, uh, and, and you say that this is something I think we need to invite people, Brad, to consider asset-based approaches to ministry, as well as asset-based asset-based approach to building community. So I, I, I wasn't successful with this, but I tried as a superintendent, as a pastor to say, folks, you, you know, we, we worship a God of abundance and you, you don't have any kids, right? If I step outside the church and throw a rock, I'm going to hit the elementary school, which is right across the street. So, so sometimes we don't see the assets that we have, we, we, what we see is a crumbling building that we're trying to keep propped up as opposed to seeing, even if it's a handful of people that can get excited about starting a free store. And we've seen this happen. Uh, I've seen this in some of, the, some of the rural churches here in Indiana. When they've caught a vision of a mission, something they can get excited about, all of a sudden, it's not about uh, whether we can pay our conference tithe but whether we can really connect with that community. It, does it always happen? No. But I think, I think the, the persons in this book would, would help anyone who really wants to take a look at 
uh, and John can help better explain is the whole notion of asset-based approaches to ministry, as opposed to starting with, we have, we have a negative amount in our checking account. Now there are some realities. Uh, maybe you can, maybe you can't afford a full-time pastor, but there were churches. There are churches that without pastors and ministry that don't need a full-time pastor. Yeah. Uh, very well said, Bishop. Uh, uh, yeah. I, and I would just piggyback on that in that I do think it is w- when we get this notion that uh, we live inside a divine economy of abundance, not scarcity, and that scarcity is really a false construct. It, you know, it's driven by our own sense of fear or that discouragement and where we feel there's not enough. But in reality, not only can we never outgive God, but we can we can start or renew a ministry simply by choosing to invest what is available to us. I, I talk a lot about start small, but start. And, and some of it is, then what do we do that is energizing for us rather than draining? And so um, I, one of the illustrations I use, and to try to keep this brief, but, but you know, we have a lot of churches that for all, all kinds of good reasons will decide, hey, we're going to try to feed hungry people in our community. So they'll do a community meal. Maybe they do it once a week or once a month. Um, but uh, what often will happen is, that folks will then do that in a way where people get tired out because, you know, the, the classic model is, you know, will the people, the, the poor people will be invited into the church fellowship hall and the church members set it up ahead of time. The church members prepare the food. The church members kind of hide out in the kitchen. And I've sometimes kid that, especially in changing neighborhoods, that those service pastor windows were simply there to protect the congregation from the people they, they wanted to, to help. And, and then after those folks have been served, then the church members, you know, may, if there's leftover food, they'll eat, but they'll sit at a table all by themselves. And then they have to clean up afterwards. And all I'm trying to say, I, you know, I, 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 the older I've gotten, the more convinced I am to never denigrate anything anyone does when they're trying to do good. But what I am saying is that's a pretty exhausting way to try to do a ministry. But if you flip the script just a little bit and realize that everybody that comes to eat is somebody that, is worth getting to know and somebody that could help, then all of a sudden, if we use that meal and instead of the people hiding in the, in the kitchen, but you know, we just invite people who come one week to come back early and set up the chairs the next week, people can help prepare and serve food. And then everybody sits together at that table, you know, and shares the meal. And then when it's over, people stay and clean up and we depart and we're energized because we're getting to know each other. You know, then we're dwelling on this front porch. And I, 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 at one level, I realize what I'm saying is very simple, but it's supposed to be. In other words, it's possible to take something as basic as that, and it doesn't require any more labor. In fact, it's a little less labor, but it can be renewing you know, as, as we go. Um, the other thing in this notion, a glass is half full, uh, not half empty. It's, it's the belief that we should always plan ministry in the moment using the resources that are currently available and believing that a small success is what generates the enthusiasm, attracts new partners, and things expand uh, gradually over time. Well, good. Well, one of the things we like to do, John, is to uh, when we kind of start to wrap up our conversations is really find out what is encouraging. You certainly given us a lot of encouraging news about Mm -hmm. the the church for all people and what they've done and how that could be implemented in other places. But 
just like to give you a moment to share anything you would see as an encouraging word for the church as a whole and for churches that are in in these positions. And also give us some details how people can get your book and find out more about you. Sure. Uh, well, first part of it, one of the things that I find very encouraging is that almost all the people that I interact with, you know, across this wide economic and racial uh, span, people do yearn for community. We, we, we do, you know, and, and, and in this world with discouragement, it is so frustrating, you know, it, uh, and, and so whenever folks begin to flip the switch and, you know, and, and just again, as your whole podcast Bishop is intended to do to offer an encouraging word to say, look, you know, we can, it may seem small, but we can do something positive and we will be blessed by that ourselves, that it, it renews enthusiasm. And that's what I see, you know, quite frankly, all the time are people who are feeling blessed to be in settings where they are doing something simple to help someone else touch grace and then just pointing to that and celebrating it. So, so that's one of the things I, I see. Another way, way of talking about it is um, early on, uh, as we were first getting started, uh, my colleague, uh, a lay person, but who was our lay pastor, Donita Harris, uh, pointed out to me, he said, John, if you notice how people are starting to talk about what we're up to, and um, and what she was saying was, which is true, there'd be a number of people in the neighborhood who knows what we're doing, and and they would talk about us by saying, you know, the the church at that corner, the church that does what a church is supposed to do. So we can be encouraged because people do notice what we're doing or what we're not doing, you know, for for that matter, and, and so. Uh, it does does grow. Then one last way of talking about it, I, I, I may have mentioned real briefly, Bishop, but um, um, in downtown Canton in the East Ohio Conference, uh, that that large church, you know, uh, this is now been renamed as Crossroads United Methodist. I, I for, you know I don't remember its historic name. It was a church that declined with the decline in, in that part of the Rust Belt. But there's um, a fairly new pastor there. It's been there about four or five years, uh, Don Ackerman. Uh, he'd been a seminary student, was in and out of our free store and a lot of things. And in a very brief period of time, um, it's amazing what he has done. He created an organization called Canton for All People, you know, uh, you know and uh, uh, and uh, he uh, opened a free store to build community. And that church in just four or five years now is at the point of doing uh, millions of dollars worth of housing. They've taken over Bishop, uh, a building about 11,000 square feet, turning it into a grocery store on a sliding scale and a health clinic. And, and, and all I'm trying to say is that, that um, when people catch the spirit, you know, and decide they really want to try, it's amazing how quickly some things can develop. And one of the, one of the, tool, one of the tools that people could use to catch the spirit is your, is your book. And we could tell these stories all day long. And I want to, I want to, don't you Bishop want to hear these stories all day long, but uh, tell us how folk, the, the name of the book is our front ports for all people. Tell us how people can get a hold of your book. Sure. It, it, what a surprise. I actually have a copy here. <laughs> but uh, there are many ways to get the book. If you want, 
you can simply order it online from Amazon or, or Barnes, Barnes and Noble. And, and that's a good way. You can do that as a book that'll be mailed to you, or you can download it as an ebook. Um, if you, and I think through those sources, it's list price is $23. And I think you can get a couple dollars knocked off. If you want, you can get it, uh, cheaper than that by going to a website that, that I created, you know, for the book that's simply called uh, uh, frontporchbook.com. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I, and the book there, I think is for it, uh, $15. Uh, and so there are different ways, you know, to, to do that. Um, and then, and then I would also say without, you know, and I, cause I appreciate the, the forum that, um, you know, both myself now in retirement and other folks from church, the people, church well people are available, um, to come and meet with folks. You know, we, we've helped to, uh, foster, uh, like I said, free stores in multiple places in cities. Uh, we've had wonderful partnerships like up in Canton, Ohio. And, you know, it's not that far from Columbus, Ohio to Indianapolis. You know, so, uh, you know, if there were times in which people were interested. As well as we, other points, we go to the whole world, yeah. uh, John. Well, there you and, go. I love like you. Go. That's- and uh, so we, and we'll put links to uh, your book and your website at uh, our website, which is tobeencouraged.com. Bishop, we'll give you the last word about uh, – and give John a good word of thanks here. Well, thank thank you, Brother John, for for your uh, witness and for telling the story of a front porch for all people. Uh, there's another John, uh, famous John, that that really has been a kind of a role model late, later in my life, and that's the late John Lewis. Uh, and he said he said something very the late Congressman John Lewis, uh, who people know know him for the quote "good trouble." But he said something very similar to what you say at the end of the book. He said, everybody can do something. And sometimes it may seem like a small thing, but if we just start, everyone can do something. Uh, for, just, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and we were made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, hospitality is radical. The lectionary text for today is really the 23rd Psalm. And I think we need to be reminded that the Lord is our shepherd and we need not fear about not having enough because God is a God of provision. We give thanks to God for all of the times that the good shepherd has led and guided us and fed us and provided for us. What is God calling you What is God calling me? What is God calling us to do in response to God's powerful grace? Uh, What a great place for us to leave leave things and uh, for the word of grace. I think that's our key word for our conversation here today is to lift up grace and how if you apply grace to all these situations we've, we've mentioned here, that's a good start there. So we thank you for our, our guest today on To Be Encouraged. It has been Reverend John W. Edgar, the author of A Front Ports for All People. We thank you for listening to the To Be Encouraged podcast with Bishop Julia C. Triple, the podcast where we look to offer an encouraging word to an often discouraged world. What a really inspiring conversation we had here today with uh, with John Edgar, 
the Pastor Emeritus of the Church of All Nations in Columbus, Ohio. Our conversation today was about that particular church, but it's really a story that can be applied. It really is the biblical story of what a church should be about and can be applied in your community. And we've heard from John how this is now being duplicated in many other communities. I just would invite you to get to pick up the book, A Church, uh, A Front Porch, uh, for uh, Front Porch for All People at frontporchbook.com and begin to apply some of these principles, study it in your church, uh, see how you can pick up on some transferable principles here in this book and how you can do more and more things. Maybe you take the free store idea and you apply it to your community. Maybe you just really discern what are the needs of your community, what is the place where that itch needs to be scratched, and do something about it. The idea here is to understand the the nature of your community, uh, and that basically almost all communities in some form or another are a mixed income community. And he talks here about how to live in your mixed income communities and then care enough, care enough as a church to do something about it. Take your situation you're in and make it better. He talks about the faith story of his church, but it can be the faith story of your church as well. And I hope you really picked up on the primacy of grace and all this whole deal. Now, this has got to be a God thing where people choose to get involved and, uh, you know, where, you know, we get involved with what God, uh, what, what God was be about and some good things are going to be, be happening in uh, your church and your community, especially as you begin to implement this whole, uh, uh, situation, this whole concept that he talks about, about the, uh, uh, nature of understanding the nature of biblical abundance, uh, the divine economy of abundance is what he calls it. And that just sounds, uh, you know, like that uh, there is availability is really there for all people. There's enough to go around for all. And the church should be at the forefront of all that. Some good stuff here, and I hope that you'll take it to heart and apply it in your church. We'll put connections to John Edgar in our show notes at... Uh, at uh, to be encouraged 052 and hope that you'll go back and listen to the first part of John Edgar's conversation that we had in episode 51 where he begins to unpack what this is all about and how this came about at the Church for All People in Columbus, Ohio. We'll put a full transcript of this entire conversation at our show notes as well. You can pick up our show notes at tobeencouraged.com, as well as over 50 issues of this podcast, which are designed to help you to be encouraged in your situation as a clergy member, as an involved layperson, or as any person in the United Methodist Church who's looking to, to make a difference. That's what we're here to do. We're here to do, to offer an encouraging word to an often discouraged world. That's the mission and the ministry of Bishop Julius C. Trimble, the uh, the Episcopal leader of the Indiana area of the United Methodist Church. And I'm the co-host of this program. I'm a retired elder in the Indiana Conference of the United Methodist Church. My name is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. We're here to serve you. We're here uh, on a regular basis. We hope you'll tune in again to the To Be Encouraged podcast. And for more insights about how to indeed to uh, have a sense of encouragement in an often discouraged world. Until next time, friends, speaking for Bishop Julius C. Trimble, this is Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Continue to do all the good that you can. Consider yourself encouraged and appreciated for listening 
to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. Now, please share the blessing and encourage others in your life to listen, to be encouraged. You can do just that by pointing your people to the website tobeencouraged.com. That's T-O-B-E-E-N-C-O-U-R-A-G-E-D.com. Or connect through Apple Podcast, where you can follow, rate, and review To Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. When you do that, you're doing your part to bring a good word to a discouraged world. Remember to listen next week to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. And never forget, God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it.